Good morning. My name is Peter, one of the pastors here at Heart of Life. I want to welcome you once more. Good morning. Hear me now. Can you hear me now? Good, right? Well, we're two days away from Valentine's Day, and you know what that means? Money. Money and a lot less of it. According to an annual survey by the National Retail Foundation, Federation, I'm sorry, the NRF, Americans are projected to spend a total of $25.9 billion. $25.9, not million, but billion dollars on Valentine's Day alone. See, whether it's candy or flowers, that's some expensive candy and flowers, or an evening out or jewelry, $25.9 billion is no small chunk of change to drop on a gift. And the funny thing is, it's not like we always want those gifts either, right? Have you ever been there where someone buys you a gift and you're supposed to act all thankful and stuff and you're really trying hard to look thankful, gritting your teeth like this, but deep down you're thinking, really this? You thought I wanted this? Like when you're a kid and you're asking for Legos and you get stuck with a sweater. Or you're about to graduate and you're hoping for some cash or maybe a little jingle of keys and you end up with a certificate for stocks and bonds. And you're like, if you're smart, sure, the sweater and the stocks are great. But often in the moment, it's like, that's not what I wanted. What I wanted was something else and now I'm stuck with this instead. But just because I don't see the value in a gift at the time doesn't make it any less valuable, does it? It may just mean I've yet to learn the value of it, and I better learn it quickly before time runs out. See, the subject we're about to talk about today is a lot like this. Listen to this quote. Sometimes I wish everyone were single like me, a simpler life in many ways, but celibacy, singleness, is not for everyone any more than marriage is. God gives the gift of the single life to some and the gift of the married life to others. As you might have guessed from the opening bumper, we're beginning a new talk series on relationships today. And over the coming weeks, we're going to discover the beauty of friendship. We'll look into the beauty of romance and marriage. And there is a lot of wonderful things that we can say about those subjects. But today, on Valentine's Day weekend, no less, we are looking into one other relationship status. A relationship status that, in my estimation is perhaps the least understood, the least valued, and certainly one of, if not the least talked about in the church today. I'm talking about singleness. Singleness, as we just heard from this quote, is a gift. And now who do you think said that? Any guesses? The Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, as in the writer of most of the New Testament. 
In 1 Corinthians 7, verse 7, that's what he says. And he makes the claim that singleness isn't a consolation prize, but a gift. Singleness is not some consolation prize. Singleness is a gift. Write that down. And he spends the rest of the chapter explaining why. So please turn there with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians 7. We'll look there in a bit, but we're going to work through various portions of that chapter in a moment. Before we do, I want us to consider why in the world is Paul talking about this? Is he some kind of a disgruntled married guy? You know, he's wishing better for others, sort of a, it's a trap. Save yourself. Like, is that what's going on? Here's a situation. A question has come up. There are some unmarried ladies in the church, and the question has arisen whether or not they should get married. Makes sense. How many single ladies in the church, and single men for that matter, will ask themselves at one time or another, should I date? Should I look for a life partner? Should I get married or should I stay single? That's the question they're asking, and maybe it's a question that you're asking. And if it's not a question you're asking, chances are it's a question someone around you or connected to you is asking. And the first thing that Paul tells them right out the gate is that just as marriage is a gift, so is singleness. And not the kind of gift where you go, oh, what'd you get me? Oh, singleness you shouldn't have. Not that kind of gift at all. No, he's like, you don't get this. Singleness is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful gift. In fact, we could say that singleness is for everyone, but not forever. Singleness is for everyone, not forever. Singleness is a gift given by God to every single one of us, right? At least for a time. After all, we're all born, or born single, right? Singleness is for everyone, but it's not forever, meaning singleness is a season of life, and it will eventually come to an end. For some of us, singleness ends in marriage. For others, we remain single until we die, but in both cases, singleness has an expiration date. And that means whoever we are, it is our responsibility to learn how to steward this gift well with the time that we have left. I know we're all Chiefs fans, or God willing, we're all Chiefs fans in this room. But I will say this, uh, I'm a soccer guy myself. I don't know, anyone watch the World Cup finished last year? Okay, cool, three of you will get this illustration. Soccer, well imagine this. Imagine it's the end of the second half There's just minutes left in the game and your team is up by one and you're trying to keep the lead. So what's your goalie do when the ball is shot at him? He catches it and then falls to the ground, right? Just kind of hangs there for a while. And you're like, what is he doing there for so long? He's trying to kill time. Precious moments wasted on purpose so he can keep the lead for the team. But flip it around. Let's say 
It's the losing goalie's turn. He catches the ball. Does he flop to the ground? No way. He is trying to make sure that he gets the ball as far forward as possible so his team has a chance to catch up with the time that's left. And this is exactly where the Apostle Paul takes the conversation on singleness. Look at verse 29. But let me say this, dear brothers and sisters. The time that remains is very short. He speaks to this again in verse 26. Because of the present crisis, I think it's best that you remain as you are. And then same thing again, jumping forward to verse 30 now. Those who weep or rejoice or who buy things should not be absorbed by their weeping or their joy or their possessions. Those who use the things of this world should not become attached to them. For this world as we know it will soon pass away. The time that remains is short. We're in a crisis. The world will soon pass away. There is an urgency for Paul, isn't there? And how we utilize the remaining seconds and moments that we have left on this earth is what's driving Paul to share. It's all about intention. Don't waste this time that you have on earth, he says. This season of your life that you are in, whether it ends in death or it ends in marriage, needs to have an intentionality, an urgency about it. Don't go busy flopping on the ground, right? Don't get caught up and absorbed in the things that keep your eyes off the prize. And one of the most surprising things that Paul identifies in this passage as a possible distraction is romantic relationships. Now clearly, there is a way to follow Jesus that looks like being married. Just consider two of the most famous apostles, Peter and Paul. Peter was married, Paul was not. Both followed Jesus faithfully. And there are all kinds of benefits to marriage that we could discuss, but that is literally a sermon for another day. Today, we're going to hear from Paul, and by extension, God himself, on why singleness isn't simply a concession, but a viable way of life. I'll say that again. Singleness is not a concession, but truly a viable, life-giving way to live. See, singleness should not be viewed as a season of preparation for something else like marriage. It can be that, but rather singleness needs to be viewed for what it is, a viable alternative. So we, ha we have to get this through our minds because I'll be honest, I think as a church, the universal church, at least the American church, we don't do a very good job with this. Hear me. We cannot believe that marriage or any romantic relationship of any kind somehow completes us. We can't hold on to that idea. We can't hold on to the idea that marriage completes us without simultaneously believing that Jesus, who was single all of his life, lived a somehow less than human life. Right? Singleness doesn't make us any less human as if marriage or romance made it necessary for us to experience the whole of humanity. No, no, no. To think this is to declare that Jesus lived a subhuman or a less than human life. And I promise you this leaves you bigger holes in your theology that we have to fill. 
No, singleness is a gift. And so is marriage. Neither completes the human experience. And the challenge for us is that oftentimes we, want to con- we have to consider each open-handedly because oftentimes we want to scorn on one party or look down on another who lives differently than us, but the, we have to find value instead in whatever season God has called each of us to live. So if singleness is a viable and a holy option, just like marriage, then what are some of the benefits? What is a benefit for singleness? Well, Paul outlines a few for us, starting in verse 32. He says, I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided. In the same way, a woman who is no longer married or has never been married can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and in spirit. But a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. I am saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. Singleness is not a concession, but a viable alternative. Why? Singular focus, fewer distractions. Singular focus, fewer distractions. It is impossible to overstate the distractions that exist for someone in a romantic relationship versus someone who is not. See, when you're single, you don't need to be thinking about Valentine's Day. You're not expected to top last year's birthday gift. You don't have to bear in mind anniversaries or in-laws' desires or holidays in the same way. It's, it's different. When you're married, especially if you have kids, the demands can feel almost overwhelming. But when you're single, that's almost like a net zero. There's not some unspoken list of demands held up to you to live in accordance with. You just get to live. And what you get to live for with every fiber of your being is what Paul said in verse 35. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. Is the Lord calling you to devote a year to work with orphans in East Asia? Maybe 18 months in northern Congo? Or perhaps God is asking you to move into a dangerous part of the city with crime rates through the roof that would be unsafe for a child to live in, which is exactly how you know God is calling you there because if you don't go to help and bring change on the ground level, nobody else will. When you're single, you have less relational commitments to distract you from truly being a servant for the Lord. So that means you're able to go wherever he calls you, whenever he calls you, and do whatever God tells you. 
While preparing for this message, I made it a point to speak to several single friends of mine to ensure that what I'm sharing today is not mere theory, but real life. And one friend of mine um, who has intentionally chosen to live a celibate life shared this with me. As a single and celibate person, I am free to pour into multiple people's lives. Everyone who has a significant other must always consider that person when committing their time as well as committing their intimacy. I'm not taking away from a significant other relationship by having dinner multiple nights a week with different people. I don't have to specifically worry about the ramifications of being a shoulder to cry on for one person while there's another hypothetical person back at home waiting for me. And being intentionally celibate, he says, I know I can invest in people without the ulterior motive or expectation of a sexual relationship. This freedom and flexibility as a whole enables me to do a lot, from discipleship meetings to spending time with elderly members of the community. Not that married people can't do these things, they certainly can, but there is something beneficial about having a pool of free commitment to invest. That's because singleness gives you greater availability and flexibility. Greater availability and flexibility. Paul says this in verse 32. He says, I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. Free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried person can spend their time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. Singular focus, fewer distractions, greater availability and flexibility. Not only to do the Lord's work, but even to have the margin of time to think about how to please him. These are the gifts of singleness. But the problem for many singles today, we often feel a pressure to be on the lookout for a relationship. As if our romantic status somehow provided us a kind of value. But the reality is it doesn't. What gives you value is not who sets their love on you but the one whose image you were made to bear. My kids and I, we love Pizza Street. I I love Pizza Street. I've loved it for a long time. (laughs) Um, And all you can eat pizza and soft serve for cheap. Pro tip, mix the vanilla soft serve with orange soda or root beer for endless floats too. Total game changer. Well, at Pizza Street, we get tokens. Tokens, Uh, because tokens mean arcade games, and what gives a token its value? It says, you know, what's it say? Family, entertainment, no cash value. What what, What gives it value? On the other side, it says Pizza Street. What gives this its value is the image that it bears. What does it mean that you and I have been made in the image of God but that you and I have ultimate intrinsic value. Soak in this truth, right? Let it settle into your soul and remind yourself of it daily. This means that when you're single, 
All the distractions that come from romantic relationships don't need to be at the front of your mind. You don't need to be constantly wondering who that special someone is going to be because you're freed then to be single-minded and singularly focused to follow God wherever he goes. Because you have value already because you're made in his image. If our singleness is consumed with pining for relationships, just craving for relationships, then we are missing the point. That goes for everyone. Because singleness is for everyone, even if it's not forever. It's not a consolation prize, but a gift. It's not a concession, but a viable way of living because it grants a singular focus, fewer distractions, and greater availability and flexibility. Now, what do you do if you're engaged or committed in a serious relationship? How about if you're recently divorced or widowed? Believe it or not, the Apostle Paul addresses each of these scenarios, and we'll quickly look at them and then wrap up our time with some practical application for us all. So to the engaged, he says this in verse 36. If a man thinks that he's treating his fiancée improperly and will inevitably give in to his passion, let him marry her as he wishes. It's not a sin. But if he has decided firmly not to marry and there is no urgency and he can control his passion, he does well not to marry. So the person who marries his fiancée does well and the person who doesn't marry does even better. In short... If you are engaged to be married and you're on the fence, Paul goes, it's okay to hit pause. Unless you are burning up with passion to the point of committing sin, choosing to remain single is still an available option for you to consider. And his counsel here is actually intensely pastoral. Because how often do we just do things because it's expected of us to do it? To Paul... Until you say, I do, God doesn't expect you to. But you better believe he does when you do. Until you say, I do, God doesn't expect you to. A friend of mine found himself in a similar situation 15 years back. He was getting to know this woman and realized that if they continued down the road they were on, marriage was the inevitable goal. But while in prayer one day, he asked the Lord if he should pursue her in terms of dating and engagement and marriage and those kinds of things. And then he had a realization. He'd always prayed, Lord, who's the one? Who's the one? Lead the one to me. Lord, who is the one for me? And he had never, his way he said, I never considered, what if the Lord would choose to be that for me? Full stop. In that moment, he chose to break things off before they became any more serious than they were and willingly embraced a celibate lifestyle. 
From that point on, he committed himself to itinerant preaching, just going church to church, preaching, ministering at camps, homeless shelters, and more. And even would offer up regular, uh, his home, his rooms, rooms in his home to others for intensive discipleship relationships. A year-long lease, well, this is me discipling you for a year, that kind of a thing. He just would do that on and on and on. On a couple occasions, I would join him and others for times of all-night prayer, where we would start around sunset on a Friday and go clear until sunrise before we'd call in a night. He epitomized for me what that flexibility and availability that comes from leaning into a singleness devoted to the Lord can look like. And so one day, a few years back, I asked him, do you plan on staying single forever? We were close enough. I felt I could ask it that way. And I'll tell you, his answer shocked me. He said, I gave myself to the Lord completely, but I know full well that sometimes the Lord has different plans for us. And if for some reason he would call me out of singleness into a relationship, perhaps to care for a sick or dying woman in her final months, then so be it. I'm not married to my singleness. I don't serve it. I serve God. That, my friends, is singleness done well. And whether that singleness lasts a decade or a month or even a lifetime, the singular focus, even of singleness, is never the gift itself, but the giver of the gift. Now, what about those who have been married before? Paul gives one more caveat, his final one, verse 39. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. If her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but only if he loves the Lord. He's like, if for some reason your spouse dies, whether at the end of a long life together or suddenly and tragically due to something like disease, Paul says the widowed spouse is welcome to marry another Jesus follower. And then he adds this, verse 40. But in my opinion... It would be better to stay single. And I think I'm giving you counsel from God's spirit when I say this. So to the Christian who's no longer married, Paul offers a bit of counsel for consideration. Bearing all that we have heard on the subject today, would you at least consider, like just even consider choosing and embracing a lifestyle of singleness? going forward. At least consider it. Because notice, Paul, Paul, it's not a hard and fast rule, right? He doesn't call it a rule. He, he says it's, it's counsel. It's his opinion. Like this is free. You can choose it. You don't have to choose it. But as you sit with the options in front of you, whether it's life on your own or life with someone else shared together, perhaps even in the midst of whatever grief you are in of having lost a spouse, Paul says, be willing to at least consider the possibility of singleness. Why? Because singleness is a gift for everyone, even if it's not forever. It's not a concession or a consolation prize, but a gift and a viable way of living, allowing a singular focus 
fewer distractions, greater availability and flexibility to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the beauty of singleness. So what do we do with all of this? First, I want to speak to the church. And then I want to address the singles listening. A few considerations for us this morning, all around the question of how do we cultivate an environment within our church that allows the singles among us to flourish and thrive. It all stems from this, learning to see the value in singles and singleness. We must grow to value singles and singleness. And that starts by first normalizing the conversation. Normalize the conversation. This subject of singleness cannot be relegated to a single sermon once every ever. One single friend of mine I shared these notes with before I preached today, he said he wished he had heard a sermon like this when he was younger. In the same way that we talk about and prepare young people, our own kids, for relationships, we need to normalize talking about and preparing our young people for singleness. To really maximize and celebrate the benefits of being single because it is just as biblical and just as viable a lifestyle. But then also, include in life. What I mean is include singles in your life. Make time for those who are single. Consider their voice when you're making decisions and plans. And stop singling singles out. What I mean is, the majority of single people I talk to have no desire for a singles ministry. What they actually want is to be woven into the fabric of the church. Not a singles ministry, not to be set aside as some isolated part of the church, but instead to be included and incorporated into the life of the church. See, how often do we unintentionally undermine the message that the church, in Jesus' estimation, no less, is a family tied and held thicker, held together by a bond thicker than even blood relation, right? The church is more than just a family held by blood. It's the blood of Christ that binds us together. And what I'm saying is, if you have some singles in your life, invite them into life teams. Include them in your family gatherings, Welcome them to a new, if you're going to a new movie, even if it's a Disney movie, I know singles that love to watch Disney movies. Like invite them to join you and your kids to go see the, the, the new movie that's out or the hot new restaurant that's opened up. Like invite and ask if they want to join you. And on top of that, involve singles in ministry. Involve in ministry. Lean into those who are single. If you have something that you're working on, Make it a point to invite a single guy or girl to join you and do it together. So often, singles, and especially single women, are overlooked in ministry opportunities because we unintentionally tie the worth of one person to their spouse. 
oh, so-and-so would be so good for this ministry because they have a strong marriage. I get that. That's good. But what about recognizing so-and-so would be good for this ministry because they've built a strong career or because they are incredibly people-oriented or fill-in-the-blank? We need to be sure to empower and equip all of God's people for ministry, regardless of romantic status. Help them discover their gifts. Encourage them in their pursuits, especially the God-sized dreams that he gives us that won't take any less than all of us working together to pull it off. One more, and this might be the most important one. Stop playing matchmaker. Stop playing matchmaker unless they ask you to. See, if someone isn't actively looking to be married and they haven't personally asked you to help them with this, then stop assuming marriage is on the agenda. It'd be a little bit heartless to ask someone who's fasting if they want lunch, right? That's a personal choice, not ours to assume. Because after all, marriage is not the next level up in life. It's not the next stage in the sanctification process. Can God sanctify through marriage? Yes, he can. I will attest to this. And he also does it through singleness. These are a few ways that we can value singles and singleness as a church. Now, as for the singles here today, I want to talk to you about something. And really, it's more of a question. Because the gift of singleness is the single-minded focus of pleasing the Lord. And so here's the question. And really, let's be honest, it's a question that we all need to grapple with regardless of our relational status. Here's the question. Are you using your time to please the Lord? Or are you using your time to please yourself? Consider, everyone, consider your free time on a given week, even if it's three minutes of time. How much of that you time, me, I need my me time, right? How much of that you time is focused on God and the things that he's about? like love and mercy and justice. I, I polled my friends, uh, polled them on uh, social media, and the unanimous number one answer for why people liked being single was because they got to do what they want. And that speaks to the flexibility and the availability of the gift of singleness, right? But what about the singular focus on Jesus? And so my concern and my question, uh, I've kind of hedged around this a little bit, but let me just ask it as gently and as pastorally as I can. Is your singleness for you? Or is your singleness for Jesus? Are you using your time, your resources, your margin, and your relational freedom for you or for him. Because the gift of singleness isn't that you get to be fully you. 
It's that you get to be fully his. The gift of singleness is not that you get to be fully you, but that you get to be fully his. And when you're fully his, you will discover what a life of fully you was always meant to be. This visual of a coin bearing an image is not original to me. There was a time once when Jesus was questioned about whether his followers should pay their taxes. And in response, Jesus asked for a coin and inquired, whose image does it bear? And proceeded to say, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. And on the surface, it sounds like Jesus is all for paying taxes. I get it, it's there. But do you hear what he's really saying? Notice his question. Whose image does the coin bear? And now consider, whose image do you bear? See, this is the question before each of us, single or not. Have you given to God what belongs to God? I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about you. Have you given yourself to God? Because if not, today can be that day. So in a moment, the band's going to come up. And we're going to sing. But you don't need me to tell you that singing some songs on a Sunday when the rest of the week is all about us can hardly be considered giving God his due. And so if you recognize in your life that you've been living for yourself, or let's extend this, maybe you've been living for your family, or maybe you've been living for your business, or maybe you've been living for your country, or whatever else it might be, to the neglect of really, truly living for God, then it's time we make things right and respond in surrender. All of our heart, all of our soul, all of our life, all of our strength, and give it to God. So I want to pray for us. And I'm going to kneel as an outward sign of an internal sense of surrender. And I invite you to join me in this if you would like. Jesus, you are both Lord of our lives and Savior of our souls. May our response be one of surrender. Surrender to your law and your grace, to your rule and your sacrifice, to your justice and your goodness. Surrender is no longer something we dread, but something we now desire. 
whatever gift you have prepared for us, whatever lot that we have been given, may we embrace it and live it to the glory of your name. And so God, grant us the discipline required to adore your greatness. The faithfulness needed to follow your lead and fill us with undeniable, overwhelming joy in proclaiming your salvation to all. This we ask, Lord, in Jesus' name. And if you agree and desire God to do this in your life as well, then I invite you to say this word with me too. Amen. Amen. Amen.